Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start there, and we're going to spend most of our time in Genesis chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, open them. It's good to see them in your own Bible. If that's you know your actual copy, like paper copy, or if you have it on the phone, that's cool. We're always going to have all the scriptures here on the screen. Uh, but make sure you follow along with me today, because I'm going to ask you all to do something that's, well, it's not out of the ordinary, but I'm going to ask you to do it with a little more intensity, and that is to, will you really lean in and focus on what I'm going to teach you today? Like, will you pay extra careful attention to what I'm going to share? Uh, Because, listen, I always teach and preach the Bible, but today, like, I'm just giving you, like, straight Bible. I don't have any big stories or anything to share, which there's nothing wrong with those, okay? But I'm just going to work out of the text today, and I'm going to do my best to help all of us get a biblical world view. But if you're new today and you hear that word worldview, really two words smashed into one, um, the question might be for you, okay, okay, Pastor Scott, back up just a second. Uh, What exactly is a worldview? Raise your hand if you have a pretty good idea what it is. Okay, that means you were here last Sunday and you paid attention. Uh, Let me make it as simple as I can, okay? Uh, A worldview is simply this. A worldview is, well, it's the way that you view yourself. It's the way that you view one another. Just take a minute, look around. Look around the building. Look, look. And this is awesome, isn't it? They're all here together on Sunday. Look at all your beautiful brothers and sisters. Look around. Look around. Okay. Okay. Well, one person was impressed. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's the way we view ourselves, the way we view one another. Our, our worldview is the way that we view politics and economics. It's the way that we, well, it's the way we, we view the world, right? It's simple enough, huh? But let me take this to another level. Your worldview, listen, it's not just what you see. Your worldview is how you see it. It's the way that you see the world. And the truth is every single person in this place, without exception, has a worldview. But let me say this. Not everyone in this place has a biblical worldview. And how many of y'all know there's a big difference between what the world teaches and what the word teaches? And the aim of this series is to help you lean in, me lean in, and, and, and to, watch this, to get into the word, to, to, uh, uh, to look at the word and to read and study the word in such a way that we can actually see the world the way God, what? Sees the world. How many of y'all know that's the best way to see the world? Not, not through your own lenses, which can be okay. Uh, you have your opinions, you have your viewpoints, that's fine. But ultimately, we want to submit ours to whose? To God, to God Almighty, because His view is the best view. And so, in this series, we, well, we're going just four weeks. I wish we could go for about four months, maybe eight months. But Pastor Jacob said, man of God, you've got four weeks. <laughs> and how many of y'all know that's painful for me? Yeah, it's painful for me. But he asked me to write this series, and so all the pastors are basically preaching um, this message. I had the privilege of writing it. They're putting some of their own content and insights into it as well. But uh, we're, we're going to look at, at, at four scenes from the Bible, and I want you to say these with me, because if you get these, if you get these, it's going to help you immensely uh, to, to process the world that you live in, to see things God's way. So we're going to look at four scenes, and the first scene we looked at last Sunday, and that was what? 
All right, this side say creation. Y'all, y'all kind of in this big slice. Y'all say creation. Okay, y'all, y'all are in trouble. Y'all say fall. <laughs> now, y'all, it's getting good over here. Y'all say redemption. And y'all over here, y'all say new creation. All right, so creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Hey, if you get those four truths, then you're going to understand most everything in the Bible that's taught here and everything that you read. So are y'all ready to get into this? Are y'all ready? I'm going to teach y'all. Can I teach y'all today? Y'all going to let me do that? All right, creation, fall, redemption, uh, new creation. And so last Sunday, we looked at what was right in the world. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us what was right. Right. Well, today we are going to look at what went wrong, how it all went wrong. People today wonder, okay, Pastor Scott, like, you know, what happened? Like people look back to 2020 and be like, what happened? And I'm like, listen, the, the, the world was in trouble long before 2020. And how many of y'all know the world's going to continue to be in trouble until Jesus returns? But people, they wonder, okay, where, where did it all go wrong. How did it all go wrong? Well, I'm glad you asked and that person asked. I'm going to show you today. And so if you're taking notes, uh, let me say it a different way. Since you're taking notes, uh, the title of my message is simply this. Um, Adam's family. There you go. <laughs> not, not the seven of us, including my dog, not the Adam's family, but Adam's. Are you all with me? Family, let's pray because we're going to need some help. God, help us today. Holy Spirit, come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord. God, help us today in this place. Lord, I ask that you would give us a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so we could know you better. I'm praying that you would open our eyes, Lord, to see what's next in the text. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom. You would ultimately, I'm asking that you would ultimately help us see the world, to see you, to see ourselves the way you see us, Lord. So we submit our hearts to you. We surrender to your word. King Jesus, you have the preeminence in this place. You are supreme. You are the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. And we bow to you. We bow our hearts to you. And we submit to your words, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' incredible name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you haven't done so already, look at, look at Genesis 1 with me. And uh, we're going to do just a little bit of review work. Okay. We're going to go back just for a little bit to the very beginning, because if you, you want to know how it all started, well, you got to go back. Of course, you got to rewind that tape all the way. Uh, we talked about last Sunday, be kind and what? Rewind. And rewind. We're going we're gonna to rewind for just a minute here and do a little bit of review work. But in Genesis 1-1, the Bible tells us that it was in the beginning that God did what? He created what? The heavens and the earth. Now, that's a magnificent statement, isn't it? But what I want to point out is that, well, it says in the beginning, this is what God did. But how many of y'all know before there was a beginning, there was a beginner. Before there was a creation, there was a, there's a creator. Uh, of course, we know him as, as Yahweh, Elohim. He's God Almighty, the one who always has been, the one who always will be. He was in existence and always has been in existence. He will forever be the great I am. Come on, y'all. He is the one who always has been. Listen, the one who always will be. Long after this world passes away, our God forever will continue to be God. 
One theologian said that God, he just is. He said that God is in the isness business and no one can put God out of business. He just is God, which means that we can count on him. Things in this world pass away. We're going to pass away, but God will never pass away. Come on, give him a little praise today because he's worthy of just that. So Genesis 1 was written, listen, not as a scientific handbook to try to take modern science and jam it in to Genesis or read it out of Genesis. I think that's a mistake. Of course, yes, the whole world is God's and everything within from mathematics, calculus to science. All of that presupposes a very rational, very intelligent God. We do those things because God is a rational God. How many of you all know we don't always make rational decisions, but we are rational beings because we're made in the image of a rational God. And so, yes, we we can, yes, presuppose some science here, but Genesis 1 is not about science Genesis 1 was written to give us some detail about how God created the world. Just, well, in this specific way, we see that the writer highlights that God spoke day after day. And when God spoke, things happened. And the writer here is he's he's writing to to show us what God did in this six day work week, how God brought order to disorder, how he brought light to the darkness so that as we read this, as we read the result of God's speech, we, we, we do this, we sit down and we're like, oh, wow, God, you are amazing. Listen, when you read Genesis 1 and you read that all God made and all that he did, how many of y'all know that was written to evoke a sense of awe and wonder in your soul? Not to confuse you, but to evoke a sense of awe. and Oh God, you are an amazing God. If the creation is beautiful, how much more the... If the creation is big, how much... Are y'all with me? And so that's why Genesis 1 was written. Moses is writing to evoke a sense of awe and wonder in his audience and in us today. And so we see in this opening chapter that that, that Genesis tells us some detail about the how of creation, some detail, some about the how of creation so that we can have a better understanding of the who of creation. And and let's look together for just a a few minutes here about how God did it. Uh, Genesis 1 verse 3 says this, And God said, let there be light. And there was. Come on, God said, He spoke, and He turned on the lights. Time was created. Uh, Verse 6, And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. Look at verse 11. And God, say it with me. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, so on and so forth. Look at verse 14. And God and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm. Verse 24, and God, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Finally, verse 26, then God, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let me ask you all a question. Are you seeing a pattern? Listen, 
I can't read your mind, but I can read patterns. Are y'all seeing a pattern in the text? What's the pattern? What's the repetition? And God, say it with me. And he said, and the writer is trying to show us the power of God and the power of his creative speech. So when God speaks, things happen. (laughs) Are y'all with me? When God speaks, well, things change. Things are transformed. Watch this. This is so good. I I couldn't wait to get here today to preach this. Watch this. Genesis 1 tells us that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters in anticipation of what's to come. Watch this. So there's darkness, there's a void, there's, as some theologians call it, chaos, there's disorder. But then, watch this, God dealt with the disorder and the darkness of the world by speaking to it. So how is God going to address, let me step out of the text, how is He going to address the darkness and the disorder of your life? Well, He starts by what? Speaking to it. That's that's what happened when you got saved. You heard the gospel, didn't you? Somebody preached the gospel, those life-giving words, and you believed those words. And what did those words do in your life? Those words transformed you, didn't they? Those words brought order to your disorder, didn't they? Those words brought light into your darkness, didn't they? How many of y'all know there's power in God's words? He brought order in the beginning. He's bringing order today through his what? (laughs) Through his word. He commanded the world into order and it obeyed. The divine fiat of God. He commanded order and there was order. And Genesis 1 verse 31 says, God saw all that he created and behold, it was not just good. Tov, it was in Hebrew, uh, tov meod, it was very good. How many of y'all know everything God does is good? Like he he can't help himself, you know, but to do good. But he looked back at all that he made in Genesis 1 and he said, it is very, very good. But let's be clear here. What was very good? The heavens, the earth, male, female, the marriage covenant, spoken of more in chapter 2, but still implied in chapter 1. Marriage between a man and a woman. God called that what? It's not just good, but it's what? Very good. Mankind, humankind made in the image of God that we equally uh, possess. We equally are the image of God, male and female. How many of y'all know that's not just good? That's very good. That means we have dignity. That means we have purpose. Being made in the image of God does not mean we were created to look like God. We are not, we are not physical representations of what he looks like. Instead, we are his physical representatives who are called to be like him in certain respects. How many of y'all know that's very good? You are made in the image of the eternal God. What? That's right. Like we should be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God, that's amazing. Like you made me. You made us, God, in your very own image, after your own likeness. All that was very good. Very, very good. And so let's see what God says next in the text. Go to Genesis 2, 15. Begin there with me. From Genesis 1 to chapter 2. He did all that speaking in chapter 1. 
He's going to speak again in chapter 2. How many of y'all know God's got a lot to say? How many of y'all want to hear everything he has to say? Chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Everybody say, work it. And to keep it. Say, keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, here it is. Remember, God just spoke, didn't he? And God said, and God said, and God, okay. And God, we're, we're told here, he commanded the man, saying, you may surely, everybody say surely. Surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall, there's that word again, surely what? Surely die. Now imagine this. Adam was in the perfect environment, in paradise, and God gave Adam permission, notice this, to eat of every tree of the garden, which means that God was very good to Adam. How many of y'all know God is very generous? He's always been that way. He can't help himself. He'll always be that way. He said, you may surely eat of every tree, but, but he puts a restriction on the one. He said, but, but, but God said there was one tree that he, and by extension Eve, could not eat of. And that was the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. And God said, in the day that you eat of this tree, you will what? Not just die, but what? Surely, surely die. Now, let me point out something that sometimes we miss as we read through this. God did not say to Adam, you may only eat of the one tree. Think about that. He didn't say you can only eat of the one. Sorry, Adam. I mean, I got you in paradise. You've got all these beautiful trees. You, you, but, but, but with that, there, there's only one. And you've got to just be fed by that one. You've got to stick close to that one. God did not say you can only have the one. God said, Adam, Eve, you can eat of every tree but the one. And how many of y'all know we've got to get our facts straight? This shows from the very beginning that God was generous. He was very good to Adam. You can eat of every tree but, but, oh, but, but there's one that you cannot eat from. You should not eat eat from. And here we see in very clear terms the generosity and the goodness of God contrary to what some people think about God that God is this cosmic killjoy who lives to make us miserable by placing restrictions on us. Some people think that about God. Well, you're, you're God, they say about us. You're God. I mean, he, he's all about rules and commandments and what, what, what we can't have. I mean, I want to live my life and I want the blessing and I, I want what I want. I don't want anybody or any God placing restrictions over that. How many of y'all know that's the essence of pride? Because people, it's not that they don't believe in God. They just want to be their own God and determine what's right and what's wrong for themselves. Are y'all tracking? That's the air we breathe today. But here, God didn't say you can only eat from one. He said you can eat from every, but there's one you, you cannot eat from. And when you do, you're going to what? You're going to surely die. How many of y'all know God allowing Adam and Eve to know the consequence in advance was an act of grace? When God tells you, if you do this, then this will be the result. How many of y'all know that is, by, by very definition, grace? 
That is his goodness in action. He tells us where things are right. He tells us when things are wrong. We see this in the very beginning, that there was one voice, just one. Chapter one, and God said. Chapter one, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Chapter two, and God said, Adam, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. But then let's go to Genesis 3. Y'all ready? Let's go. In Genesis 3, well, there was another voice. There was trouble in paradise. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Watch this. The serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Boy, things go south quickly, don't they? The New Testament indicates that the serpent, of course, is Satan. He's described here as crafty. And he is the one who, well, struck up this conversation with Adam's wife, Eve. Notice, it did not begin with Adam. It began with, it began with Eve. Now, here's my question. And I'm just going to ask the question. I know the answer. If I didn't know the answer, I shouldn't be teaching. But let me ask the question just to provoke you to think. Where was Adam? Now, if you read through the text, the text says that, well, once Eve gave in, she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So, it's logical to say that Adam and Eve were in close proximity to one another. So, when I ask, Adam, where were you? I'm not, I'm not asking the question about where he was physically. I'm asking the question, Adam, where were you mentally? Like, God just said to you, okay, that you can eat of all the trees, but there's one that you can't eat from. I mean, God just spoke to Adam. I mean, this is fresh in Adam. And now, now you've got this serpent on the scene, which, you know, some, some scholars say that maybe back, back then that the animals talked. And so it wasn't a strange thing for a serpent to talk to Eve. Now, who knows if that's the case, okay? But let's say that, that animals talk to humans at that time, to Adam and Eve. Let's, let's just go with it, okay? Maybe Adam's like, oh, it's just another conversation in the garden. Are you with me? But, but go back to verse 15. God told Adam to work, to work the garden, and to what? To keep it. And that means that he's to work the, the, physical, the physical space of the garden, to work it and to keep it. But that also implies that Adam is to, to guard his relationship with God and with his wife. Do you see where Adam's already blowing it? Where was Adam? I mean, mentally, where was he? He's called to guard the garden and keep the garden. He's supposed to guard his relationship with Eve. But, but, but now there's this conversation going on between the serpent and Eve. <laughs> and the question is, Adam, what's going on in your mind to think that's okay? Okay, let's go with it, though, that animals talk to humans. Let's go with that. Maybe Adam could let it slide for a bit. But listen, 
If I was Adam, I think, if I give myself the benefit of the doubt, the moment that the serpent began to question the word of God would be the moment that I would jump in and say, listen, serpent, you're not going to talk to my wife that way. You're not going to talk about my God that way. Are y'all with me? If you're Adam, you would think he would have jumped in and said, we're going to stop this conversation right now. But do you see what happened? Adam just let the whole thing go down in more ways than one. And here we see passivity in Adam. Oh, boy, I could preach a whole series on passivity. Where was Adam mentally? Where was he physically? Someone said, in the recliner with the remote watching the LSU game. (laughs) Meanwhile, there's a serpent talking to his wife, twisting the word of God. Listen, man, you better guard your garden. You better guard your children. You better guard your wife. Listen, some snakes are venomous. Some are harmless. It don't matter. If it's a snake, it's getting cast out of my house. You better, keep a, you better keep a close watch on yourself. You better guard your garden. But Adam was passive. And his passivity opened the door for moral depravity. Isn't that how it works? Just sitting back, letting it all go, watching it all go down. So Adam let the serpent strike up a conversation with his wife. And then listen to what the serpent said one more time. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? How many of y'all know God didn't say that they could not eat of any tree. He said that they could eat of every tree but the one. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first step in distorting their worldview was twisting their word view. Twisting the way they viewed God's words and ultimately God's nature and His character. Twisting it. That was the first step here. And I want you to see something. I want you to notice this. Satan was not calling into question the existence of God. He was calling into question the goodness of God. Did God say, did he actually say, you shall not eat of any tree? How many of y'all know God didn't say that? God was very good. God was very generous. He said, you can eat of every tree, but there's one that you cannot, you should not eat from. That is what God said. In other words, the, the serpent is calling into question the goodness of God, basically saying that God is not that good after all. God's holding out on you. Is what he's saying. Did God really say you cannot have sex? Again, people think, you know, God's a cosmic killjoy. Just have to just ruin our party. No, he didn't say that. He said that we can have sex, but it has to be in the right context. In the right context. Male, female, husband, wife. It's not just good. Come on, those of never mind. It's very good. In marriage, it's very good. Sex in the right context is good. God's design, it's not just good, it's very good. And the faster we embrace His design and His model, the faster we'll be blessed in our lives. 
The more we, res- we resist it, the more disaster and chaos and disorder we invite into our lives. Isn't that true? Satan was not calling into question the existence of God. He wasn't that stupid. He was calling into question the goodness of God. And perhaps that's where you are today in your own mind. You're not calling into question whether God exists. Maybe you're here because of life circumstances, because of things that have happened to you, maybe because of seeds sown by the enemy, and you're not questioning whether or not God exists, but you're questioning whether or not He's good. And let me just help you. Your God and my good, my God can't help but be good. He just can't help himself. Because, see, he's the one, even if your circumstances aren't good, he's the one who works all things for our, if we love him, if we've been called according to his. So if it's not good yet, it's because God's not finished yet. Let God do what God does. Let God be God. You serve him and trust the results to him. Let's do that. Okay. Listen to what happened next, Genesis 3, 2 through 5. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you what? But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely, there's that word again, You will not surely what? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be what? Opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I mean, this is amazing. This is incredible. Eve's response is a paraphrase with some additions and some omissions. First, she leaves out the fact that the, God said that they may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But then watch this. She adds that they cannot touch the tree in the midst of the garden. Listen to this. Maybe, maybe Eve added to Maybe she subtracted from the words of God because, well, she didn't really know the word of God. Maybe. Maybe she added to and subtracted from the word of God because she forgot the word of God. And I'm not talking about in written form. They didn't have a Bible. But maybe, maybe she didn't know the word as well as she thought she knew the word. How many of y'all know we cannot stand on the Word? We cannot fight with the Word if we don't know the Word. You can't fight the enemy. You can't fight off temptation if you don't know the Word. If you don't have the Word, not just in paper form, but in your heart. you got to store the Word up in your heart. you got to know it. you got to meditate upon it. you got to quote it. you got to speak it. How many of y'all know there's power in the Word? But you can't defeat the enemy without the Word. I think there are a lot of Christians who know some things about the Word, but I think sometimes Christians are more prone to go to Jesus' calling than they are to the actual Word of God, to hear the actual specific Word of God. And if you read Jesus' calling, listen, that's a whole other thing. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm saying to you, come on, y'all, let's get in the Word. Let's read the Word. Let's get down to exactly what God said. Let's not paraphrase. Let's not get into exaggerations. Let's not, let's, not, let's not take away from or add to the Word. Let's know it. Let's live it. Let's speak it. Are you all ready to do that? that that's, how, that's how Jesus fought the, the enemy in the wilderness. You remember when, when Jesus was tempted, what did he say? It is. It is. 
Do y'all see a theme today? It is written. God has spoken. It is written. We have the written words of God today to fight the enemy. Maybe Eve added to and subtracted from these words given to Adam, the words of God, because she didn't know the words of God. Listen to how the serpent responded. He said, you will not surely die. (laughs) In other words, Eve, that's a huge exaggeration. This thing's gotten out of hand. God knows that that if you do, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God is holding out on you. God knows if you do this, you're going to go to another level. He's holding out on you. And I wonder if Satan here is operating under some bitterness and resentment because Satan wanted something. Theologians tell us um, before all this went down, Satan wanted more than God would allow him to have. Satan rose up against God and God cast Satan down. I wonder if the serpent here is a little bit bitter because he couldn't have everything that he wanted. And now he's in the garden in the form of a serpent trying to twist God's words and trying to show Eve that God too is holding out on her and her husband. But listen, just as God cast Satan out of heaven, how many of y'all know Adam should have cast that serpent out of the garden? And if he had, well, the world would be a lot different today. Are you all with me? Again, he's saying God's holding out on you. The serpent distorted Eve's worldview by twisting her word view, and she fell for it. Chapter 3, verses six and, uh, yeah, 6 and 7. So when the woman saw, that's her worldview, not just what she saw, but how she saw it. When she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he did what? <laughs> and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, I want you to see what's going on here. After they ate from the forbidden tree, Adam and Eve saw, they saw the world in a very, very different way. Now they knew they were naked. And so they made coverings for themselves. They hid from God because they knew that they had done wrong. They knew that they had done evil, so they hid. Listen, the most Adamic thing we can do is after we sin, instead of running to God, we run away from God and we find our own man-made coverings to hide us from God. So when you blow it, this works out practically, when you blow it, and we all blow it in some measure, but I'm saying when you sin, you know you have, uh, the tendency of some is, man, I've blown it, I've done it again, I'm so, I'm so filled with shame and guilt. Some people, instead of running to the cross to find forgiveness, they run away from the cross. 
And they feel like I got to go get right. I got to go clean up my life and I got to do better. Then I can come to Jesus. But that's not the gospel. That's not the Bible. When you sin, you don't have to go then get right and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he makes you right. He forgives you and he cleanses you. So let me just say this in some application. If you're in darkness, if your life is chaotic and disorderly, if you're in sin, don't run away from God. Run to God today and you'll find redemption. You'll find forgiveness. You'll find light and you'll find life and you'll find restoration in him, not apart from him. Are y'all tracking? They sewed fig leaves together and they hid from God. Instead of running to God, they hid from him in their shame. But it gets worse for Adam. Listen to what Genesis 3 tells us. And they heard, Genesis 3, beginning in verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. Look at this. But the Lord God called to the man, and here he is again speaking. And he said to him, Where are you? No, stop. God did not ask this question because he needed the information. How many of y'all know it would be very problematic if the God of all creation didn't know where his creation was? Are y'all tracking? Crystal clear linear logic. Where are you? The question that wasn't for God, that was to, to provoke a response from them. Where are you? He wanted them to speak up. He wanted them to respond. Verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. This is Adam because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12. Here it is. This is just mind boggling. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. I mean, that says it all right there. Like I got nothing else. Y'all know that's not true. In other words, it was the woman. This all went down because of the woman. And then watch this. Then it goes from the woman to, he says, the woman that you gave me to be with me. <laughs> like it's in the Bible. I'm, this is not a paraphrase. You seeing it? The most Adamic thing to do is to push the blame on somebody else. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's whoever, whatever. It was my wife. It was my friend. It was my circumstances. It was my upbringing. It was the... Excuse after excuse. Shift after shift. Adam was the leader. And God commanded him to guard, to work, 
ultimately to keep the garden from all intruders. Someone wants to say both foreign and domestic. This one's from somewhere else. And Adam blew it. Before he ate, Adam blew it by not guarding his garden, by guarding his relationship with God and Eve. This wasn't Eve's fault. Ultimately, it wasn't the serpent's fault. It was Adam's fault. Some of y'all have heard that if Adam and Eve had been Cajuns, they would have eaten the serpent instead of the fruit (laughs) and saved all of us a lot of trouble. A lot of of truth in that. But just as God cast Satan out of heaven, Adam should have cast that serpent out of the garden. But instead of obeying God's word, Adam disobeyed. And we're suffering the consequences to this very moment. What's wrong with the world? It all goes back to Genesis 3. What's wrong with me? It all goes back to Genesis 3. Not Genesis 1, because there everything was what? Very good. And by extension into chapter 2, same thing. It all went down. It all fell in Genesis 3. Because we're told that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, which is a way of saying that they were separated from God. They were banished from the original blessing of the garden in Genesis 2. Let's get ready to close. I want to show you something. Let's go to the New Testament. Listen to what Paul says about the consequences of Adam's decision. Eve was deceived, but Adam just took it and ate in direct violation to Genesis 2.16. Listen to what Paul does with this. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who's that one man? Adam. And look at the consequence. Death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all what? All sinned. Do you see what Paul does here? He places the blame on Adam. He holds Adam responsible for the entire mess that we're in. Paul says that sin came into the world through one man. That man was Adam, which means that God holds him responsible. Death came through sin. And listen to this. Here's the implication. Every person apart from Christ, is born dead spiritually. And because of sin, every single one of us will die physically. Because of sin. Why is the world so broken? Because of sin. Why is the world so messed up? Why is my marriage so messed up? Well, maybe you need a tool here, you need a tool there, you need some encouragement, but ultimately, it's not the problems from without, it's the sin from within. And that's just not talked about a lot today. Because preachers don't want to talk about that sinny sin sin that offends people. But listen, sin is not just what we do. We're naughty by nature. We're naughty by nature. 
sin has spread to all men from Adam for to all men, to all women. We all have sin running through our spiritual veins. We are, apart from Christ, Adam's family. And we are one big dysfunctional family called the human race. Does that make sense? Paul traces it back to Adam. Our desires are darkened because of sin. Our hearts get broken because of sin. Our relationships get out of order because of sin. Our bodies will die because of sin. We are separated from our creator because of sin. The moral decay of our culture is a direct result of disobedience to God's word. And wherever there is disobedience, there will be disorder, destruction, and death. That's just the truth. Some people say, well, no, no, no. It's It's this party, it's that party, it's this person, it's that person. If these things were fixed, then I wouldn't be this way. If we could fix these things, maybe the world would be fixed. But listen, it's not about fixing external things. It's not about programs, though programs can help. How many of y'all know we gotta go deeper than the skin to the sin within. We have to address the root problem with the love and the grace and the truth of God to make that root, to make that tree good again. And how many of y'all know only God can do that? Only Jesus can do that. Only He can make things right for us again. So however... Often you watch the news, read the news. And you're coming and you're going. As you scroll through social media, as you read your emails, as you look at your finances, as you, as you look at the problems in the world, I want you to see it all, but I want you to see it the way God sees it. I want you to see yourself in your fallenness and your brokenness and your imperfections the way God sees it all. Because I've I've shared a lot of bad news today, but let let me end with the good news. Let me say it this way. The first Adam ruined it. But Jesus, the second Adam, came to redeem it. Come on, y'all. He came to redeem us. Come on, y'all. He came to redeem us. He came to make us right again. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're in Christ, we are being slowly but inevitably conformed into the image of Jesus, the last Adam. Did you get that? The first Adam broke it. Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam, came to fix it. And so we don't need man-made coverings. We don't need drugs. We don't need alcohol. We don't need illicit relationships. We don't need to run away from God. We need to, as fast as we can, run to God through Jesus Christ because Jesus, by his cross death, has made satisfaction for our sins. He has provided forgiveness and covering, though we are sinners by nature. Come on, y'all. Jesus makes us Uh, white as snow. He forgives our sins 
the sins of Adam, the Adam running through us, as we repent of that sin, we have a cross to run to. We have a covering provided through the redemption of Jesus. And let me help y'all. Though there is redemption, though there is forgiveness in the second Adam, this world is still going to be a mess. And I can't take responsibility for the whole world, but I can take responsibility for my world. And you can take responsibility for yours. In the beginning, God created. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Let me step out of Genesis. Isn't that a picture thematically of our lives before we came to Christ? Void, dark, without purpose. But then 2,000 years ago, we know the rest of the story. God sent forth his word, the Logos, Jesus Christ from heaven to the earth. And God spoke in these final days through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And when you receive God's word, Jesus, God brings Because when you receive Jesus and you surrender to him, come on, y'all, there is a king seated on the throne of your life. And that king is the one who brought order to the world. And that same king will bring order to your world if you'll submit to him. Can I get an amen? Lord, thank you. Come on, let's lift our hands. Lord, we thank you. Let's lift our hands. Let's worship. Let's worship. God, we thank you. We praise you today. We thank you that we have a biblical worldview. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. It tells us what was right. It tells us how things went wrong. But then it tells us how things can be made right once again. 